Amen. If you have your copy of Scripture, we're in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Acts chapter 15. Look at verses 36 through 41 as we continue our series through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. We read, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded or commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This morning we're going to talk about conflict resolution. Now I know that you know sometimes we think that Scripture doesn't talk about these things, but but I believe right here it does. Have you ever seen a church fight? You ever see that happen? You know, two people in the church go at it. I don't mean like, you know, throwing punches. Maybe you've seen that too. I don't know. But um, uh, we're two people in the church. They have a conflict over something. And they just can't seem to get along very good. And they, they have a church fight. This happens far too often in the church. Where someone gets all upset at someone else because they do things differently. And someone ends up leaving the church over it. We need, each other, we need each other in the church, but for some reason, we seem to have issues where we, we just can't get along with someone else. Sometimes we look at someone in the church, and we know that they have their good points, but we just can't stand to be around them. We know the call of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we love one another, but does that mean that we have to get along with one another? It certainly doesn't sound very spiritual to admit that there are Christians that we just don't like. They have clashing personalities that wear you down. Or the way they do something is always different than how you would do it. Which of course, the way you would do it is the right way and the way it should be done. And the way they do it is the wrong way. Here's... What I have found in the local church. It won't take long before you find someone that disagrees with you. And you enter into a conflict with them. What is important is how you resolve that conflict. And to be honest. We can't really say that the command to love one another. Does not mean that we have to like one another. I've heard that said in churches before. And even among Christians. Well just because we have to love one another. Doesn't mean we have to like one another. Jesus commands us to love one another and we shouldn't take it so flippantly as it's the second greatest commandment and it's leaked to the greatest commandment which is to love God 
John tells us if we don't love our brother who we have seen, we can't love God who we have not seen. Furthermore, Christian unity is vital in the life of the church and in the life of the believer. Just before his death, Jesus prayed that we would be one, in other words, unified so that the world would know that the Father had sent him. We can't just pretend like Loving one another and unity are no big deal in the church. Too often, Christians either stop serving or they leave churches altogether discouraged because they can't get along with another believer. In fact, some quit going to church. They get hurt in church and they decide that Christians are no different than anyone else and that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. This is why I'm glad that Luke writes about conflict between Paul and Barnabas we have two great godly men that have a conflict and to be frank it's not a petty conflict when I read it I think it would be great if if Luke reported that one gave in and they both asked for forgiveness and all was great but that's not what happened however even though this incident seemingly does not end the greatest there seemed to be no bitterness later Uh, on between uh, Barnabas and Paul. However, this conflict did break off a close relationship between them. I wonder if they both grieved over this. I wonder if, if they both had sorrow. It is here that Barnabas passes off the record of the book of Acts and we don't hear from him. Let me say that as followers of Jesus Christ... We have to remain diligent in our service for the kingdom of God in spite any conflict that we have within the body of believers. So I want to talk about conflict this morning. I want to talk about some things that I believe we can draw out of this passage of Scripture. First of all, conflict is universal. Conflict is universal. What I mean by saying that conflict is universal is that no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, you are not at a place where you are out of the reach of conflict. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ. The world is full of conflict. And to be honest, most of the conflict that we see within uh, Christianity and even within the world is selfish conflict. But here's the deal. Not everyone is always going to have the same opinion that you have. And this is universal in its scope. We often think that if someone else was just more spiritual, then then there would not be a conflict. And truthfully, that's not the case. Here we have two godly men that engage in a conflict because until we reach heaven, there's going to be differences of opinion. And at times there's going to be conflict. Let's notice a few things about the universality of conflict. First of all, Conflict can arise over how to do ministry and not theology. Conflict can arise over how to do ministry and not theology. As we look at this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, we notice that the conflict has nothing to do with theology. has nothing to do with it. They're, they're not in conflict because one is holding some sort of bad theological belief and the other has to confront the the other person, but rather the conflict here is related to ministry. 
The fact of the matter is they were, they were in agreement on theology. They were in agreement on the central doctrines of the faith. They were even in, in agreement on going and visiting the mission churches that they had started. They both wanted to do that. They both had a concern that they would be doing the Lord's work. However, the conflict was in the practicality of accomplishing the Lord's work and whether to take John Mark with them or not. Are we going to take him or are we going to leave him? Secondly, on the universality of conflict, notice that conflict can arise between two godly men or women or people, two godly people with a genuine difference. Both Paul and Barnabas were godly men. They both loved and served the Lord. They both had risked their lives for the cause of Christ. But both saw how to best carry out the mission in a different way. Again, conflict is not over the mission itself. But how do we accomplish the mission? Let me say that we should never have a conflict over the mission of First Baptist Church. We should never have conflict over our mission our mission is simple, glorifying Jesus Christ by calling people to know him, growing him, and to show him to others. That's our mission. If we have conflict over our mission, then we have a problem. But the point is, Barnabas felt it was best to take John Mark, and Paul did not. And the conflict was over a genuine uh, difference of whether to take him. It wasn't over the mission but a difference of how to accomplish the mission. Thirdly, about the universality of conflict, conflict can arise between those who have served together for a season. Conflict can arise between those who have served together for a season. We might be tempted to think that if we are active in Christian ministry with others for a long time, then we would not have conflict or conflict wouldn't arise between us. But Paul and Barnabas had been doing ministry for quite some time together, and they had conflict. Remember, Barnabas went and listened to Paul's testimony when all the other Christians were staying away from Paul. They were all like, we're not going near Paul. It was Barnabas that went to Paul, and it was Barnabas that went and looked for Paul in Tarsus to go with him to do ministry in Antioch. It was both of them together who were commissioned and sent on the first missionary journey. They suffered together for the cause of Christ. They served together. They were apparently inseparable. Where you saw Barnabas, there was Paul. And where you saw Paul, there was Barnabas. They were together. It was Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. But they still had conflict. Most likely, Paul believed that John Mark was a deserter. And as such, he's going to be a poor example for the young churches. I'm not taking this, this guy. I mean, he left us. He's, he's a bad example. The conflict was how best to carry out the mission. Church, conflict's universal. And as long as we have people on this earth, there's going to be conflict. There always has been. And there always will be. This side of glory. And as a believer, 
our job is to search our hearts when conflict arises and verify if our motives are pure and unselfish. That's what we should be doing. When conflict arises, are my motives pure and unselfish in the midst of this conflict, which leads me to my next point, which is this. Conflict can lead to sin. Conflict isn't always necessarily sin, but conflict can lead to sin. Look at the sad truth of verse 39. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, inseparable, and there arose, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. These two who were inseparable now separate. And I know what happens. We ask ourselves, well, who was right and who was wrong in this situation? Luke doesn't really place blame on either one of them. We could say that perhaps Paul was right because it says that the brothers commended them in verse 40. However, that does not mean that Paul was right. That would be a stretch of the text. I believe if we look at the entirety of Scripture and we we, we use that as our looking glass, then we could come to the conclusion that they both were right and they both were wrong. Paul was right in that he did not want to take along John Mark because John Mark had already deserted them once before and if they hit some sort of hard times, how do they know that John Mark's not just going to pack up and leave again? I mean, after all, it's hard to be on these missionary journeys John Mark hadn't proven himself, so he shouldn't go. Barnabas was right because, as we know, Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. And he looked to encourage John Mark. And he did not, he did not see him as he was, but as what he could be. Sure, he messed up, but shouldn't we show grace to John Mark? History would prove Barnabas right when Paul would tell the church at Coloss to welcome John Mark in Colossians chapter 4 verse 10. And then later on, Paul would tell Timothy to bring John Mark to him because he was useful to him in ministry. So by Barnabas encouraging John Mark and showing grace, it eventually pays off in the long run. However, both men were also wrong. And I know that's probably shocking to some of you that I would say that Paul and Barnabas were both wrong, but clearly neither one of them was willing to compromise on the issue. And as we looked at last week, there has to be room for compromise. And this was not a doctrinal issue, but, but it was an issue over how to do ministry. And they both, both refused to give in to the other person's point of view. They said, I'm not, Barnabas says, I'm not giving in. Paul says, I'm not giving in. There's no way I'm taking him. Barnabas says, well, we need to take him. And neither one will budge. Certainly, if we were, if we were there, they both probably would have uh, been able to use Scripture and say, well, I'm standing on principle here. They could have easily said we disagree with one another and parted ways in a, in a way that honored God. They could have said we, we're going to agree to disagree and, and we're going to honor God in this. However, look at what the text says. They had a sharp disagreement. Now, before you think that's just like, oh, they're just like disagreeing. They're like, oh, well, you know, 
you know, Paul, I really think that we should take um, John Mark with us. And Paul says to Barnabas, well, I don't think so. Okay, that's not what sharp disagreement means. Sharp disagreement is an intense emotional turmoil, especially expressed in words. They were having a fight. And here's what I believe the passage is saying to us. And I, I don't believe we're reading anything into it to say that both men crossed the line into sinful anger with one another. They were not acting in humility, neither one of them, nor were they acting in kindness, and nor were they acting in compassion towards one another. And while I have little doubt that it was God's will for them to separate, I also equally have little doubt that they should have done so the way they did it. And I believe it led into sin. With that said, let me say this. Conflict will often stem from our greatest strengths. Conflict will often stem from our greatest strengths. What I have noticed often is that we end up in conflict because of a strength that we have. The reason for this is because in places where we are strong, we often think that others should have those same strengths and we're blinded to what their strengths really are and it creates conflict for us. And we see that, uh, that even in this situation, Paul was a man's man. I mean, Paul was a tough dude. He was going to follow Christ no matter what. And Paul was going to proclaim Christ wherever he went Paul couldn't be stopped. You try to kill him, he gets back up and walks back in the city. I mean, Paul was a man's man. He was a tough guy. He may not have been a very big guy, and it seems like he probably wasn't, but man, Paul was going to preach Christ. And because of this, he looked at John Mark as a wimp, as a weakling. Compared to Paul, John Mark was a wimp. But Paul refused to accept John Mark even though he had potential and it caused this conflict with Barnabas. Barnabas had a great strength. Barnabas was an encourager. That is what he did. He encouraged others. When someone failed, here comes Barnabas. Ready to extend grace. Don't you love people like that? That they don't wait till you're down and start kicking you? When you're down, they, they're the guy, person there holding their hand out, lifting you up, ready to extend grace, ready to help you out, ready to love on you, ready to encourage you. That's Barnabas. There, ready to show grace. However, even though he had his greatest strength in being this encourager, Barnabas would extend grace to those that needed to be confronted. You ask, how do we know? How do we know that Barnabas did that? How do we know that Barnabas um, refused to, uh, to confront people at times? Well, Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas' strength became his weakness. Cause conflict. Barnabas was so afraid of offending the Judaizers that he was led astray by them. 
conflict often stems from our, from our strength. So we have to be on guard against being blinded by our own strength and thinking that everyone needs to be like us and everyone needs to be on my level and everyone needs to be like me. In order to do this, we need to know ourselves. We need to know our strengths. We need to know where God has gifted us. And we need to use that strength for His glory, not for conflict and not as a measuring rod for everyone else to say, oh, well, this is, this is the level that everybody else has to be at. they got to be at my level. Don't allow your strength to lead you into sin, church. But also, trust in God alone to help in conflict. Trust in God alone to help in conflict. Even though Paul and Barnabas were great men of God, they still had conflict. And the fact is, when we can look at this passage of Scripture, we can see uh, conflict throughout the Bible even, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. People are flawed. That's just the reality of the situation. People are flawed. And if we place people on a pedestal, I'll try to say that several times fast. If we place people on a pedestal and put our trust in them, it will ultimately end in failure. I'm not saying don't trust leaders because we should trust leaders. But when we elevate a leader to an inappropriate level, we're going to go through conflict and disappointment. If you trust in men more than you trust in the Lord, you're going to be let down. So trust in the Lord to help in conflict. What does that mean? Does that mean that you ignore leaders? Because often God will use leaders. So it doesn't mean that you just ignore leaders because God will use them to manage conflict. But it means that everything should be tested by God's word first and foremost. It means that everything that you go through, if you're in the midst of conflict, that it should be tested by the word of God. You should be driven to God's word. You should be driven to God first and foremost. Not driven to your friend or your cousin or your aunt or whoever. That's not the first place that you should go to manage your conflict. But the first place that you should go is the Lord. The fact is God uses imperfect people sometimes to help in conflict. But he does not use them if they are advising against his word. So you, you go to the Lord and you look at your word. And you trust in him to help. Trust in God alone to help in your conflict. I also want us to understand this. Even though conflict can lead to sin. Unity does not mean lack of conflict. Unity does not mean lack of conflict. I want to bring this out because we're talking about when conflict can lead to sin, but not all conflict is sinful. And just because there is a conflict does not mean that there is no unity. Let me just say this about unity. When it comes to unity, there can be no true unity with those who deny the core truths of the Word of God. There cannot be unity with those who deny the core truths of God's Word. And attempts at unity with those who deny them is to compromise the word of God. However, unity does not mean that there will be an absence of conflict. And it does not even mean that, that we will always work closely with one another. 
There are times when strong leaders get called to different areas of ministry. In fact, this should probably happen often within a church. A church should raise up leaders who perhaps will become missionaries and pastors and church planners and even called to a different ministry. What is important is that when people part, it should be done with, without any bitterness. It should be done with blessing. This is not what happened with Paul and Barnabas, though later Paul does speak in support of Barnabas. Until, uh, uh, until also, or unity also does not mean that there will be an agreement over every minor thing relating to doctrine and ministry. There are core doctrines that can never be compromised, or we be or we be denying our faith. But not every doctrine is a core doctrine. There are many areas where Christians can disagree with one another, and we have to understand that. That we need to show grace in some of those areas because somebody can disagree with us. There are also many different ideas over methodology, which is how you're going to accomplish something. How do, we, how do we do the Lord's work? And though we should always seek to follow biblical methods because we aren't free just to do whatever unbiblical thing that we want to do, there are still vast differences over methodology which are biblical. Again, we must be willing to show grace in those areas where someone may have a, uh, have a biblical methodology, but it differs from how we would do it. Unity does not mean that there will not be conflict, but it, but it is how that conflict is handled that makes all the difference. I'd add this, that when picking a ministry team to serve on, perhaps you say, well, I'd love to serve on a ministry team team it would be wise to choose those that are compatible with you while no two people will ever see eye to eye on everything there should be some compatibility on ministry teams that will help when you do ministry okay we've seen that conflict is universal we've seen that conflict can lead into sin and that it often comes from our greatest strength, we have this strength and it, it causes conflict sometimes. We see that we need to trust in God in that conflict and that unity does not mean that we're going to have lack of conflict. Last, I believe the text reveals to us that conflict should never cause us to quit. Conflict should never cause us to quit. You know what would be even more sad if we read this and it said Paul and Barnabas just stopped doing ministry. Too often when conflict comes, people quit. They leave the church. They stop doing ministry altogether. And listen, church, this is, this is real dear to my heart. Because in my own life, in my own ministry, I've wanted to quit. I wanted to just give up because it'd be far easier to quit than to walk through the kind of stuff I had to walk through. It had been far easier to quit than to ever think that, well, what if my family has to go through that again? 
What if my wife has to go through that again? What if my kids have to go through that again? It would have been far easier to quit. What happens when we have a clash with another Christian? We enter into conflict. We don't just quit. Listen, church member, don't quit. Don't quit. If you've been in conflict, don't quit. If you, if, if you quit doing ministry before because of conflict, then it's time to get back in to ministry. Don't give up. Don't give in just because you had a little conflict with someone. Paul and Barnabas had a strong disagreement, but they continued to serve the Lord. In fact, they did not even take time off. They kept right on going. Now, by God's providence, there are two ministry teams instead of just one. Look at verse 41. It says that Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, bad-mouthing Barnabas and letting everyone know how wrong Barnabas was and how terrible of a person that Barnabas was. It doesn't say that, right? That'd be pretty bad. It says he, he went through strengthening the churches. In fact, we see nothing throughout the entirety of the New Testament that would indicate that Paul and Barnabas were in competition with each other or that they had bitterness with each other. After this incident, there is nothing saying they badmouthed one another. Why? Why? Why didn't they do like what we do oftentimes in in church today. Well let me tell you what so and so said to me. And how wrong they are. And let me tell you about this person. And what they did. And let me tell you how this person mistreated me. And oh boy that pastor he didn't even shake my hand. He just walked right on by me. Let me tell you all about that. I'll never go to that church again. I mean we could go on and on and on right. Why didn't, why didn't Paul and Barnabas do this? Because they wanted people to know Christ. That's why. In fact, over time, after this, Paul mentions Barnabas. Every time he mentions Barnabas or Mark, it's in a supportive way. And we know, church, we know that Paul, he was not afraid to tell it like it is. Paul was not afraid to call out false doctrine. But Paul never did that with Barnabas because there was nothing to call out. Our emphasis has to be on Christ, not on complaining, not on griping, not on crying, not on whining, not on complaining against our pastor or our deacons or any other leader. Our goal is not self-vindication or to make sure everyone knows our side of the story and I better make sure that they hear my side while running someone down. Our goal and focus is is on Christ alone. He gets the glory. So how do we resolve conflict? How can we as Christians bring conflict to some sort of resolution after all? That is the title of the message. And and so quickly, I want to share with you how to best resolve conflict. These ideas, I'm sure, have been around forever, so I'm sure that they don't originate with me, so don't go with it. Oh boy, that Pastor Josh, he sure is smart, okay? One thing I know for sure is this. When you're in the midst of conflict, you need to disengage your emotions and think objectively. And... I'm not trying to pick on 
Ladies, but I know, ladies, this is very difficult for you. It's difficult for some guys too, but, but it, is, it is hard to disengage your emotions. Guys are compartmentalizers, so they compartmentalize all the time. Like, oh, well, I'll just check my emotions out, no big deal. But you, you got to disengage your emotions and think objectively. So the first thing you ask yourself in the midst of conflict is this. What is the true source of the conflict? What is the true source of the conflict? Often we have conflict without knowing the true source of the conflict. So with any conflict you have to ask yourself, where is this coming from? Where, why is this starting? What is the source? And you have to answer as honestly as possible as to what is the source of this conflict and, and be honest with yourself. And we have to use caution here because often we have a tendency to push uh, the one that's disagreeing with us into the realm of sin. We, we like to say, well, they're, they're sinning. That's, that's the source of my conflict. The problem is they're the problem and they're sinning by doing what they're doing. And we sound more spiritual when we, when we say that someone else's doctrine is out of way. Oh, they got bad doctrine. Or they have a problem with sin. It's their fault. And we look more spiritual than if we just admit that we struggle with their personality. It proves even more difficult when our feelings are hurt and when somebody hurts our feelings. And, and so sometimes... It's better to bring in an objective third party to help work through the real source of the conflict. But you need to find the real source of the conflict. What is the source of the conflict? Second question you must ask yourself and answer. Is there a biblical principle at risk? Is there a biblical principle at risk? And this is a vital question and still one where we need to be careful because we can throw around all kinds of verses to supposedly back our viewpoint, but we need to, uh, we need to be asking if there's a biblical principle at risk. In other words, in this conflict, will I compromise a biblical principle if I give in to this? If, if what this person is asking, am I compromising a biblical principle? Naturally, if a biblical principle is compromised, then we need to make that clear. We need to say, I can't do this or I can't give in to this because I will compromise a biblical principle. However, don't just pull scripture out of context and throw it in someone's face. Additionally, if both parties are, are standing on biblical principle and neither is willing to budge, which is possible, it is possible for two parties to stand on biblical principle and, and say, hey, we can't budge with one another, then at that time it may be best to separate. It may be best to separate and go your own separate ways, but not in a sinful way. Third question you need to ask yourself is this. What is God teaching me in this conflict? What is God teaching me in this conflict? You know, it's easy to walk away from conflict thinking that you did not learn anything. But the truth is, there's something always to learn. Sometimes, 
God puts us together with people and we have a conflict. And you know the old saying, this world would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people. And as long as we have people, there's going to be conflict. And we often think that, that we would not have a problem if everyone would just see things the way, they, the way I see them. We wouldn't have a problem. So often when we have conflict, we are confronted with a weakness in our own lives. And maybe it's, maybe it's pride and, and maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's stubbornness. And if we will submit to, God, what are you trying to teach me in this conflict? We have no reason to bail out because he's using that situation to make you more like Christ, to, to teach you something, to, to reveal maybe a weakness in your own life or, or, or something that, that you're going through to, to, to make you more like Christ. Fourth question. And final question you need to ask yourself to manage to resolve conflict. Will I help or hinder the cause of Christ in this conflict? Will I help or hinder the cause of Christ in this conflict? Church, again, this is a vital question. Often, it's the one that we rarely think of. Let me give you an example from marriage. If two believers are married and they have a conflict, and the conflict is a difference in personalities, and they get a divorce, and they cite irreconcilable differences, which seems to be the code word these days, that doesn't help the cause of Christ. Instead, they need to appreciate one another's strengths, to affirm one another in love, to help one another in weakness, and in some cases, just agree to disagree. And if need be, go get counseling. There's nothing wrong with your wife disagreeing with you on something. My wife doesn't, sadly, does not see everything the way I see it. I don't know what her problem is, but, I mean, she just doesn't. Now, let's transfer that into the everyday Christian mindset. In the midst of conflict, if we can affirm each other's strengths, if we can help one another in weakness, if we can understand that God gives us a variety of gifts, and if need be, agree to disagree, to say, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but because this isn't a key doctrinal issue, I just got to disagree with you, and that, that can be okay. Is someone wrong? Yeah, most likely someone's wrong. Could it be you? Yeah, it could be you. Could it be them? Yeah, it could be them. However, there are times when people have, have spent so much time sitting and figuring out their differences. So much time sitting and figuring out, oh, well, you know, you're wrong here and I'm wrong and, and we got we to gotta get this figured out. They spend all their time doing that. They never get anything done. And if this is the case, it's probably best to serve somewhere else. If, if, if you're sitting in meetings and you're just constantly butting heads or you're, you're having a ministry team time and you're just sitting there conflicting with each other, it's probably best to serve somewhere else. If you know you're never going to see eye to eye and you're always going to be in conflict and if neither one's going to yield, then just go somewhere else. Just serve somewhere else. I don't even know that I talked to my wife this morning. I don't even think that, that it's wrong to, to leave a church if you're going to sit there and be bitter in a pew 
One Sunday after another, after another, after another, after another. You know what? You probably ought to go somewhere else. I know some of you are gasping right now. Oh, you just told people to go somewhere else. I'm not saying I want you to go somewhere else. I'm saying spiritually, if you sit in there bitter and angry and upset and always in conflict with me or someone else in the church and you can't resolve it, go somewhere else where you can serve the Lord and be happy and grow in Him. There's nothing wrong with that. And you will have my blessing. And I'm not trying to come across as a jerk, but I, can, I care about you, where you are spiritually. We have to ask ourselves, if I continue, will I help or will I hurt the cause of Christ? And sometimes the best way to help the cause of Christ is simply serve somewhere else. But to still Maintain the love and respect for your Christian brother or sister in Christ. But just serve somewhere else. Because that's how you're going to best help the cause of Christ. And sometimes by saying you hurt the cause of Christ. When there's conflict in the church, we have to be on guard. We have to guard the unity of the body. We have to work out our differences in a spirit of love. And if we must part ways, we must do so while continuing to serve the Lord. And we have to refuse to allow the enemy to get us to attack that person that we have conflict with. Don't do it, church. Don't attack that person. Don't be talking about them in the hallways of the church. Don't get on your phone and talk about them. Don't go on social media and talk about them. Don't use code words so everybody can figure out that you're talking about someone. Resolve the conflict and then love that brother or sister in Christ. Christ, and if you see differently, just part your ways, but still love one another. Don't hinder the cause of Christ. So let me, let me bring this home this morning. How have you handled conflict as a believer in Jesus? Have you allowed conflict to degrade to sinful practice? Would you search your heart this morning and ask yourself, have I allowed conflict to degrade into sinful practice? Have you allowed conflict to cause you to quit? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and there's, there's certain things, you just, you're not going to do it. You quit because of conflict. Do you have unresolved conflict in your life right now? Maybe there's someone, even in this church, that you need to talk with. Maybe even today, maybe you don't get to eat when everybody else eats because you need to go take care of something. Maybe you got to get some things straightened out. Maybe there are even uh, uh, people that, that you've allowed a wedge to be driven between you. Maybe you even need to step away from a certain area of ministry and step into something else. In order to prevent conflict. Finally and ultimately this morning, it's hard to manage conflict. It's hard to manage conflict 
if you do not possess the Holy Spirit in your life. And the only way that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you to help you manage conflict is if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so this morning, you say, I can't manage conflict because I don't know Jesus. Then I want you to know this morning, you can know Him. You can have a relationship with Christ. You can receive Christ as your Savior this morning. Here in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. I'll be standing right down front. You know what? Maybe this morning you need to pray. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe there's a conflict that you need to deal with. Maybe the, maybe it's degraded into sinful practice. Maybe you're bitter at someone right here in our church or somewhere else. Maybe you've quit. I don't know. But maybe you've... you've You've heard this message and it's kind of pricked your conscience in a way that you know you have to respond. And maybe that response is through prayer. I'll be standing down there if you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just need to come and pray on your own. You're more than welcome to do that. You can pray in your pew. It doesn't matter. I just want you to know I'll be down there for you. Maybe this morning you, you'd say, I don't, I, don't even, I don't know Jesus. And maybe this morning you want to know more about that. I'd be glad to talk with you about that. But the Lord, if you've heard him, deal with your conscience this morning. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I challenge you to respond this morning. Let's close with prayer.